0: Hi, and welcome to The Unveiling. I'm Tim, one of the hosts, and along with Ajay and Mark, we are three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you're encouraged by this episode. Let's dive right in. Yes, indeed. Hello, and welcome to The Unveiling. This is episode 58, and the title is, Who Am I? Uh, Mark and I are here today. Uh, Mark, have you seen Ajay? Uh, he's erstwhile he's like the prodigal son we're just
1: waiting for him to have enough to eat in the pig slot before he returns back to us <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep IJ is traveling he uh, is a he's a busy and important man so yes. uh, mark you and I are going to cover today again um, today's topic as I mentioned is who am i now mark I don't i don't I want to Preface this with a little bit of humility. We we are not stacking ourselves up. This is one of the age oldest questions of human of of humanity. Who am I? What am I? Why am I here? Bill Cosby. Why is there air? <laughs> you know. Um, but I don't think we're going to have all the answers, but we, I think we're looking at this from a Christian viewpoint ultimately, but uh, I think we have to kind of work our way there. This is, in fact, indeed an, old, an age-old question. It's been addressed by philosophers, by theologians, by uh, pretty much anybody who's drawn breath has wondered at one point or another, why am I here, who am I, and what's my purpose? So what I guess I'm hoping we're going to do with this, Mark, is, I'm hoping this is going to be more of a conversation than a lecture or a reading or a going through something step by step. So um why don't you start us off with some of the background of this question and how humanity's dealt with it and and what we what we came up with.
1: Sure. Yeah, you're definitely right when you say mankind has been asking this question from the beginning, uh from the philosophers in the four hundred to three hundred BC range, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, we all know these names, up until the twentieth century existentialists like Nietzsche and Sartre and Kierkegaard and and even coming up oh through the sixties, what was the big catchphrase? I've got to find myself. I'm finding myself. And so this is a very important question. Uh, Because the way you answer it, I can't think of another question that the way you answer it has as much consequence in your life and the life of those that you come into contact with. We know how uh, the existentialists answered it. They said they were what's called nihilists, meaning there's nothing. We're all just an accident. and, And the consequence of that was Mao Zedong. It was Adolf Hitler, people that Nietzsche was their hero. And when you take that uh, logical end to existentialism, to saying that who I, it means who I am doesn't matter. I have no purpose. We're all just accidents. Uh, but I think, I think that's a real nice philosophical, uh, academic argument for people to make. But I think as we all hit our beds at night... And uh, we're by ourselves, or we're in foxholes where there are no, you know, philosophy goes away fast in a foxhole, like the old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes, because sooner or later, we're all going to face the end of our lives. And and how we've answered that question is going to profoundly affect, you know, how we go through that experience. So um, not to get too much into a philosophical argument about this, Um, but just want to set that backdrop that all people are looking to know who they are. Who am I? What's my purpose? Why am I here?
0: And and I think one more thing we might address briefly is why is this important? And I think part of that is because if we take the nihilist point of view, uh, we're not here for anything. There is no purpose to us. And if we take The Christian view, um, or even just a theological view, there is a reason for our being. We were created. We have a purpose. We have life, uh, and, and there's something there's something that will be everlasting about us. I think there's a lot of hopelessness outside of that viewpoint, and and I think that if you believe that you come from nothing and you're going to go to nothing, it's a pretty bleak view, and it's a it's a reflection of Who you feel you are as well. And I I would rather have the reflection of what we're going to be talking about coming up here, which gives me hope and uh, a future and a promise. Yeah, that's awesome.
1: And the thing to remember is that we didn't create God for us so that we can answer this question. He created us for him. And and many of the existentialists, that's what they say. Oh, religion's a crutch, and you know, and it's just a man-made construct because we're afraid of death. And
0: I may be misattributing this, but was it Nietzsche who said, "God made man in his image, and man returned the favor"? Something like that. Yeah,
1: he (laughs) said he said a lot of clever things. Yeah. That so what you got? You, you're brilliant. No one's saying you're not brilliant, but you're basically sitting there thinking up your own and co- imagining up your own constructs to explain everything that is. Where I think mankind knows, you know, even the Apostle Paul said that we even know as we look at creation as we see in the creation god's power and invisible qualities that we're all without excuse because as much as we can get into academic endeavors of, philosoph- of philosophy of philosophy um, we all know in the core of our being that this that's not all there is because Out of nothing comes nothing, to use the word that the nihilists use about life. There's also the oldest scientific law, which is something like anilo ex nihilo, which means out of nothing comes nothing. So if you've got nothing, it doesn't matter how much time and chance you multiply against zero, you still get zero. Not to mention the fact that if there's nothing, then there's not time and chance anyway. So it's a bit of a circular, ludicrous argument that they use. So we're going to kind of go back and obviously take the Christian, Judeo Christian. Answer to this question. We're gonna start out in Genesis 126. Literally, let's go back to the beginning.
0: Okay. Before we start, let me just correct myself. It wasn't Nietzsche, it was um it was uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau,
1: okay who said who
0: said that line. I don't want to misattribute it, I don't want anyone yelling at their headphones.
1: Okay, thank thanks for that education in philosophy there. I actually haven't heard of that guy, so French.
0: French, okay,
1: yeah as was certain. Okay, so here we're going to move on then. So Genesis one twenty six says, then God said, and let, just so you know, this was revealed and written by Moses, revealed to him by God, the Holy Spirit himself. Okay, so when it said, then God said, that's Moses writing down what God told him, how he created the world. So let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So right there, just should give you a huge shot in the arm out there. To know that you were created by God, you're not an accident. You should have massive self-esteem to know that you are creation. And Scripture tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think the more and more that we uh, grow in science and see the construct of creation and of the human body, the more f- the more humbled we are, the more fearful and wonderful we can see things are and the depth of complexity and, and synchronicity between all the things that have to happen for life to exist. So, so I'm going to fast forward now from Moses' account in Genesis 1.26 to the Apostle Paul in Acts 17. Now, this, what's interesting about this is, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Areopagus, which I believe, if I remember correctly, was in Athens. And it was a place that all the top thinkers and philosophers and educators came to discuss important issues of philosophy and religion. So Paul is coming before them to address the so-called intellectuals of that time. And this is what he says to them. He says, He himself, meaning God, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And then he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And I love this because he's actually giving us a key to the reason or the purpose God made us. He said he did this so that we would seek him and reach out for him and find him. And he's not hiding from us because Paul says he's not far from any one of us.
0: Yes, we weren't created just to be and to figure things out for ourselves. We were created for God's pleasure. And that is a huge part of the identity issue is how do you see, what do you see yourself being created for? You know, it's interesting. I can't remember if it was you or Aji or somebody else. Somebody else said, why do we have
1: children? We don't have children to love us. We have children to love. That's why we want them, for us to love them and bless them. And I just love God saying the same thing, you know. He wants communion. And just a little afterthought here before we move on to the next section. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. God knows each of our names. He knows us. Um, he considers us his offspring. And now as we move into the next section, we're going to talk about going from offspring to actual children, sons and daughters. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know the way that happens, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he came for us to take care of our sin problem, that we had, uh, we were condemned under the law because none of us can keep that law perfectly, but that wasn't God's plan in the first place. God's plan was for us to live with him, and Christ came to restore that plan. So we're going to move on to that now, Tim.
0: All right. Take, take us away, Mark.
1: Okay. Um, well, we've already established from the Bible that God created us. And despite what you might hear from different people, God loves unbelievers. He loves all mankind. And I just want to give you a few scriptures here. Okay, John 3, 16, everybody knows this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then you've got Ephesians 2, 5 that says, Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Now, the Bible says before we come to Christ, we are enemies of the cross, enemies of God, dead in transgression, without hope, without God in the world. Even at that point when we were at our lowest, God gave us his best. He valued nothing more than his own son, and he sent him to sacrifice himself for us so that we could come into a relationship with him and really fulfill the purpose for which we were created. And finally, uh, Titus 3, 4, Paul says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So it's God's kindness, love, and mercy toward all mankind that was the uh, impetus for
0: him to send Christ on the greatest rescue mission of all time. You know, John 3.16 is the one you pointed out that says, you know, he came because he loved us. But people often forget to read the very next verse, John 3.17, which says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So it's it's not an it's not an angry God sitting up there just waiting for you to mess up so He can condemn you and you know throw you. To, he has a plan. He gave you His Son, His most precious Son, and had a plan to bring us back into communion with Him in the relationship that we were supposed to have from the beginning. Thanks for reading that, Tim, because. John 3.16
1: is the one that's always quoted and the one that you see the guy at the football games with the sign <laughs> holding up in the rainbow wig. But 17 and 18 are just as astounding and as important. And that's where a lot of people, I'm, I'm unhappy to say, even pastors get wrong Jesus did not come to condemn us. It's the law that condemns us. The fact that because of the weakness of our own flesh, we can't perfectly fulfill it. God sent Jesus to perfectly fulfill it for us and then give us that righteousness and then lay his life down for us. So that's, that's a key point that many miss. God is not an angry God up there just looking to squash you. He sent his own son for you. What more could he do than that?
0: I've mentioned this uh, famous sermon before, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. John 3, 16 through 18 do not sound like that sermon preaches.
1: Right, absolutely. Uh, but when you when you... When you misunderstand the role of law and the role of grace, that's what happens. You get things 180 degrees backwards, and you start including the condemnation of the law in the gospel, which literally means good news. And if there's condemnation in that news, what's good about it, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So then that next step for all mankind is to put their faith in Christ. And when we do that, There's a massive transformation, but we go from being enemies of God. Then in our transgression, Uh, it says in James 2.23 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. And Jesus even said in John 15, 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. So that relationship has gone from enemy to friend. And let's remember that Jesus told us to pray for our enemies and bless them. Why did he do that? Because that's how God is. God loves his enemies and set Christ to them, the ultimate blessing.
0: And I want to bring this one up, and that is that when we do believe in him, we are instantly children of God. And it says it multiple places. John one twelve, oh, yeah. Ephesians 1, 5, 1, John 3, 1 and 2. I'll say something along the lines of, yet to all those who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So right. it, it, there you go. There's a transformation right there. Absolutely.
1: And that's the next point I'm I'm gonna just beef up a little and support you and Tim. And that is that is the answer to who I am if you've put your faith in Christ. Above all things, he blessed us with the riches of a of a glorious inheritance in Christ. And it says that no matter how many promises God has made, they're all yes in Christ Jesus. So all the promises in the old testament are also ours as his children. But to me, the high blessing of anything we gain through salvation is to become the children of God, which answers the question, who I am. It answers the question, why am I here? And what's my purpose? With just uh, an answer that we'll thank him for, for all eternity.
0: Just just to keep Ajay with us in spirit, you uh, he said this, you've repeated it before, but our identity in Christ, uh, or our our identity, says if if we're not believers, the best we can be is servants. But if we are believers, the least we can be is sons and daughters.
1: I I, I can't let you misquote. I know you're paraphrasing Aj, but I try to memorize everything he says. And what he <laughs> what he said is very close to that. He said, "Under the law, the most will ever be is a servant. Under grace." The least we'll ever be as a child, and it's just beautiful, isn't it? And you said you said the same thing virtually, just just different words, you know. <laughs> I just got to give Ajay his due, you know. So, so I wanted to share a couple scriptures here. Uh, Ephesians five one says follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when, this is one of my favorites, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also
0: made you an heir.
1: Wow, that's good stuff.
0: I'm sure that's where AJ got it from, but plays right into what we just said. Mark, I, I, we could probably sit here for the next several hours rattling off verses to try and describe to us who we are. You know, the most important one being, of course, that we are sons and daughters of God. Yes, and because we're heirs, we inherit
1: everything that Christ did on the cross, everything he bought us, every blessing, every promise.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll come through with a couple more verses uh, that you know sustain who we are. But this is not a small topic. This is not a, oh, we are this and that and this. this. There are mentions, literally Old Testament, New Testament, everywhere about who we are.
1: I know I used to feel this way. I don't know about you, Tim, but for many years when I became a Christian, I thought, okay, now I have to find out what God's purpose is for me. Show me, God, give me a sign in the sky where I'm supposed to go, what, I'm, what job I'm supposed to have, who I'm supposed to marry. There must be this big overriding purpose. But the more I studied Scripture, and the more I see that God's purpose for us was to become His children. That's our highest purpose. Will He lead us in the lesser things of life? Of course He will but that's our purpose. We don't have to keep doing. We're just being his children. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Well, I'm going to give you one more scripture. Now, my wife always tells me that when I get the opportunity to share the gospel or preach, I tend to bludgeon people <laughs> with just so much Scripture, but that's because that's who I am. I love Scripture, and I have a very analytical mind, and I love to prove and show from the Scriptures what the truth
0: is. So, I'd much rather that we what we say is backed by Scripture so people aren't going, well, that's just you saying that. No, no, no. We're quoting, we're pulling out uh, passages, and we're not cherry-picking. These are everywhere. Right, yeah. I mean, and
1: I'm I'm always going to err on the side of giving you too much Scripture. <laughs> I'd rather give you a little too much proof so you're like, all right, Mark, a uh, little tired of hearing you read the Bible for me, but <laughs> there's such powerful stuff in here. 2 Corinthians 5, four. this is my last one on this subject, says, for while we are in this tent, meaning our our physical bodies, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed But to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Here's the Apostle Paul answering the question for us, who am I? What is my purpose? He says, for this very purpose. And what was the purpose? That we might be swallowed up by life. God created us for life, abundant life, and life with him. And, and because we couldn't do that in our own power, he sent Christ to do it for us and usher us into his kingdom, into his family.
0: I also like 1 Peter two nine for the same reason. It tells us a little bit about, about who we are and why. It says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Oh, wow. Beautiful stuff, yeah.
1: And I once heard, a, I can't remember his name, but he was a famous psychologist who said that in his opinion that— The cure for most mental diseases is understanding Scripture and the promises of God, because especially like things that have to do with—so many people grow up without love and without people telling them how great they are, and that just does a lot of damage to kids as they're growing up. And when you find out of what great value you are to God, that that just— evaporates that stuff. And I'm not trying to take, it's like a pill you take and it's gone. Obviously, the things in our brokenness many times are healed immediately, but sometimes that takes continually bathing yourself in the truth over many years. So I'm not a psychologist, but I just remember one saying that that what a, a healing thing that is for people that are broken uh, to understand how much God loves them and how much he's done for them.
0: I think uh, you and I, Jay and I, were discussing this um, earlier on one of our our uh, apps that we discussed back and forth on. But it doesn't always come instantly. This knowledge, understanding, and acceptance of everything that we're saying now about who we are once we become Christians. We hear a lot of people, a lot of pastors, people, theologians talking about how we have to, we have to grow. Into grace, and I don't. One of you said this, and I've been kind of struck by it all day. Um, We don't grow into it so much as we allow it to permeate us. We're the problem, not the message. Right. And so, understanding that we're a child of God, that God loves us, He loved us when we were sinners, and loves us, you know, as, as much now. That we have all these things, and what our identity is, isn't a process that God goes through to to give to us, but rather that we go through to accept.
1: Yeah, and people tend to get the flow backwards, that once I become a Christian, now I've got to work into what God's done for me. Exactly. Where it's it's just the opposite. It says that when we turn to Christ, that we are seated in the heavenly realms with him. It's a done deal. And as we understand that, the flow comes out of that into us. The progression is from the truth of who we already are in Christ working into our lives this direction instead of us trying to work real hard to somehow now be worthy of that and I've got to try harder to be holier and I need to sanctify myself and I need to do a, B, C, D, E and F and once I do them then I need to keep doing them even better and better and better. So that that's a hamster wheel if we, as we've said many times <laughs> that leads to nowhere and it's a wonderful thing because at the very beginning Tim, you said it doesn't all happen at once our growth. And the great the great thing is it doesn't have to. Even when we were dead in transgression and his enemies, God loved us and sent Christ. Now that we're his children, you know, we're we've been elevated up even higher, and we're not on some kind of scale that God's grading how well we're doing.
0: You know, exactly. He's not sitting up there with a clipboard keeping score, so that when we die and come up, He's going to sit there and judge us on a scale on the scales on the wall. It's like no, that's not how it works. It's not how it worked with me and my kids. And if I'm again, I love this passage. If if you being you know a, an earthly father can do these things right how much more can your heavenly father do yeah i'm paraphrasing that heavily but you get the point mm-hmm. i ha, i rely on that every day i know how much i love my children and i know god loves me infinitely more than i can i can show and do and be for my kids and thank god for that because um you know if he's if he's better than i am then uh, you know i'm 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 saved for certain cuz i'm 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 like any other parent, any other father or mother who loves their children. I love them com- completely, deeply, passionately. So, That's a great
1: illustration, Tim. And I was just thinking, I, I haven't had a time to work this out because it just kind of flashed while you were speaking. But when, when we're born as babies, our parents don't say, okay, well, I'm, you need to grow now, grow, grow, grow. And once you grow enough, Then I'm going to start loving you. Then I'm going to start nurturing you. Same thing when we become Christians. We're made to enter in to, to the enjoyment of our Father, the pleasure of God from the start. He's not waiting for us to clean up every sin out of our life or fix every weakness or learn this or stop doing this, start doing that. We enter into that relationship immediately. And it's all fully ours. He's not holding something back until we live better. It's all ours in Christ Jesus. And that's why I just love the parable that we just talked about last week of the prodigal son. Um, He had one son who was erstwhile, who took all his stuff, went out, blew everything on sinful living, who then felt so guilty and bad about his sin that when he went back, he couldn't even fathom being a son anymore, that he just offered himself back as a servant. And as we talked about, the father was having none of that. He said, quick put the robe on him, get him a gold ring, put sandals on him, kill the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate with music and dancing. And then you've got the eldest son out slaving in the fields by his own description, who said, I'm out here slaving in the fields, obeying everything you ever say to me. And you you, you give him this grace and do all this stuff for him. And the father said to him, and I think it goes for all of us. He said, don't you know that you're always with me, and all I have is yours. And what a profound thing. And let's remember, this is Jesus telling this as a parable of God and humanity. And he's telling it to people that were at the lowest spectrum of society and people at the highest spectrum. You know, rich Pharisees, religious rulers who looked all shiny and new on the outside. And then you had tax collectors, excuse me, tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, the street people. And he's saying to them, don't you know? You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. If all Christians would just grab on to that and make it their own, much le- I mean, as much more the rest of the world, that just come to God. All he has is yours, and he wants you to always
0: be with him. I'm willing to bet that every father, I won't speak for mothers because I think they get this bond even sooner than we do, but every father listening will agree with me when I say, that moment that your child has been born and they place them into your hands, that moment is an explosive change in, well, I mean, obviously it's a change in your life. You've got an infant that's going to, you know, you're going to go sleepless, blah, blah, blah. But that moment of putting that child in your hand is that bonding moment that is, it's like a flash of light that changes how you think and feel about everything and and the love that you suddenly feel before you know who they are, who they will become, what they're going to do, you know, uh, and I think it's a wonderful thing God gives that to you because, you know, there are days in their lives when they're five years old and drawing with indelible markers on their brand new bed set that you you could you could think of things you would like to do rather than love them for a few moments but you know that that is such a striking moment now i think uh, maybe women get this a little earlier than way they, than we do they they kind of get that bond immediately upon discovering that they're going to have this baby i, I think they they have it a little bit differently and a little bit sooner
1: Yeah. That's an awesome point. And in my life, when my daughter was born, I was 40 years old. I didn't get married till I was 38. And I had reached a point in my life where I truly believed I would never get married or ever have children. And I, I had actually matured enough in my relationship to God that I was okay with that. So when I was sitting there and they handed me my daughter, Grace, which uh, we named after, obviously, the grace of God. Um, It was one of the most profound things I didn't know I could love that much. And as they handed it to me, I saw myself in her because she looks like me especially in the eyes and i remember almost bursting into tears when i said she looks like me and that reminds me of of the scriptures we read about god making us in his own image amen and and i'm sure it's very special to him when we are born too into the physical world but when we put our faith in christ it, it tells us in that uh, parable of the pro- prodigal son that all of heaven celebrates I can just see, I could just see him looking as we put our faith in Christ, saying, He looks like me. You know, we're made in His likeness, and now we're being restored to that full likeness in Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and all we have to tie how we think God feels about us is our own experience in, in this life as human beings. And I'm going to say it one more time, How much more our heavenly Father? That is huge because I am a human being with foibles there. I I never, never didn't love my children, but there were days I flat didn't like something they did and may have even said to my wife, but never in front of the kids. I don't like them right now. (laughs) (laughs) You never stopped loving them. No, no, never stopped loving them. But there were moments that I was like, I wasn't convinced that that would always be true, but it always was. Yeah. And we, if you haven't had children
1: out there, listener, we don't mean to be <laughs> pushing that in your nose, but we're just sharing our experience. And the very point is that God loves you in a profound, beyond human fathoming way, you know, the manner in which he loves you, that really is the, the closest you could come to understanding it is looking at the cross, just contemplating and thinking about everything Christ went through for you.
0: Again, we can only talk from our experience. I can't talk right. about. I can't talk from someone else's experience. I can't talk from sure. anything else. So, um, we are probably coming close to the end of the time that we have tonight, Mark. Uh, I, I know that I have a. I have my summation I want to make, but uh, I want to give you a chance to make a summation because I don't. I'm not sure we got through everything you wanted to talk about
1: oh, we're getting there. Let me just close up here by saying the question, who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Our answers are found in God, in Christ. But that's not why we're we're imploring you, beseeching you, as the Apostle Paul would say, to turn to him. We're beseeching you to do that because it's the truth, because he's real. It's not like a self-fulfilling thing like, oh, you need to answer these questions. Here's a good answer. Take this. The the reason is because it's true. These things are true. and, And he brings you the greatest identity of all, a child of God.
0: And Mark, you touched upon who we were a little bit, and, and why you know how the change is important. I just want to touch on. I'm going to t- just take a couple of verses. I got a list sitting here, in case we ever brought any of these up in our discussion about uh, who are who we are in Christ. And I'm going to rattle them off fast. But uh, you guys, anyone who's listening, you can re-listen, catch the verse, go look it up for yourselves. Uh, once we once we accept Christ. Once we become a Christian, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Romans 6, 6 says, We're no longer slaves to sin. I like Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I'm not going to read all these, and I'm just going to name off a couple of things that come out of it. Uh, It says, We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places that we are equipped with all we need. We are chosen to be holy and blameless before God. We are seen as holy and blameless because we are in Christ. That's in 2 Corinthians 3.18. All the way back in the Old Testament, Psalms 95.7 says, He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We've talked about the shepherd analogy many, many times. You are not from nowhere, out of nothing, to go back to nowhere. God made you. Mark brought this one up earlier. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I could not, even before I believed, believe that something as complex and self-aware and intelligent as the human species could be for nothing. And finding Jesus, finding the Bible, theology in Jesus, has shown me why I was made, how I was made, and what I'm for and who I am now. And I would encourage all of you to continue to dig into this, to figure out for yourselves, because I think it's the most important question humanity can ask itself. Who am I? Well, that's going to do us for this episode, Mark. Um, we will we'll see if Andrzej rejoins us next week. <laughs> we miss you, Anjay. <laughs> and until then, we thank everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you again the next time. Tim again. Thanks for listening today. We hope you were blessed by today's message. If so, we encourage you to subscribe and share our podcast with your friends and family. Our entire catalog of episodes can be found on our website at www.youngfieldgospel.com or you can listen and subscribe on most popular podcast apps. If you have any feedback or questions, you can send us an email to theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com. You can reach out to us on our Facebook page, The Unveiling Podcast, or you can leave a question or comment on our listener line at 352-398-0089. Maybe you'll hear yourself on a future episode. That's it for today. As always, God bless, and we will talk to you the next time.